Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you have a Bible, open up to Galatians chapter 4 with me this morning. Galatians chapter 4. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. Uh, And again, Galatians chapter 4. Um, there's a buzz up here for some reason. One of the instruments probably. There we go. So um, if you haven't been with us, we've been going through the book of Galatians verse by verse. That's kind of our MO here at Calvary. We like to take books of the Bible and go through them verse by verse. We are in chapter 4 of the book of Galatians this morning. And if you haven't been with us, let me bring you up to speed very, very quickly. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a group of churches that he established on his first missionary journey through the area of what is known as Galatia in the Bible. It is modern-day Turkey. Um, These churches, when Paul left, were thriving churches. The people were growing. Uh, It seemed like everything was going incredibly well until these legalistic uh, folks, these legalistic liars came into the church, the churches there in that region, and began to tell them that, to preach another gospel to them. It was a Jesus plus gospel, a Jesus plus the law kind of a gospel. And and, and not only did they teach a different gospel, but they also taught that the apostle Paul was no apostle at all. And so they discounted who Paul was and also the message that he preached. And these believers, they were believers. Understand that. He's writing to believers. They are believers, but they got duped. They got deceived. They received, or they drank the Kool-Aid as it were, right? of these Judaizers, and they fell into legalism, which is, let me just say, if you've never been there, it's the most miserable place in the world to be as a Christian, to be in legalism, to to think that you can somehow um, gain more, uh, you know, you can become more pleasing to the Lord by what you do, uh, you know, by rules that you keep, by reading your Bible more, by, you know, all of those things are great things, and they're not, they're good things, but be careful that you don't make them the means of how God is pleased with you. That's called legalism, and the Lord you know, the Lord is already pleased with his son, and if you're in his son, then he's, what, pleased with you, right? So you don't have to work your way uh, to the Lord. You don't have to work up some means of being, pleased, uh, being pleasing to him. You are already pleasing to him because he's pleased with his son. And so uh, these people slipped into that place, and they are incredibly miserable. They are no doubt, you know, they, they're looking down on Paul at this point even, the man that brought them the true gospel, where they had their hearts enlightened, they were, they were you know, bounding with joy. They were abounding in the joyfulness of their salvation, and now they are sulking in their sorrows of their inability to keep the law. And Paul wants to remind them, listen, be very careful that you, don't, that, that, that you move away from this place of keeping the law to a place of receiving God's grace. It's all about God's grace. This book is about justification, the means by which we are made righteous before the Lord. And it is not by what you do. It's by who you know. It is, as we've been saying, you can say it with me together, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Whoa, you guys are getting it. All right, amen. Hey, yeah. So that is what this book is all about. Now, um, if we find ourselves in the, in the last section of the second division in the book of Galatians. The first uh, division was chapters 1 and 2 where Paul was defending his gospel and his apostleship. Chapters 3 and 4, Paul moves to defending the doctrine of justification. And chapters 5 and 6, Paul will deal with primarily the application of everything that he's been saying. And so it's nicely divided two chapters at a time. And there you go. He, you know, the Lord knows what he's doing. But we are in the last part of the second division in the book where Paul is defending the doctrine of justification. And if you've been with us there, you know that he's illustrating. He's using a lot of different analogies and things to help us understand how, what the law looks like in our life and what grace looks like. Like what the promise of God was through Abraham and, and, and what the law through Moses brought. And he's using these two pillars in the faith to, you know, sort of contrast and help us understand how they are not contrary to each other, but they work together. They are complementary to each other. And uh, he used this analogy the last couple weeks of, uh, you know, someone who is under the law is like a child that's under a guardian. And the analogy is this, that 
back in this day when in Roman culture, in Jewish culture as well, somebody that was more privileged would have like maids and, you know, they would have uh, slaves that were literally taking care of their, their children, nannies, if you will. And uh, their responsibility was to raise these kids up, to rear them up. The parents were doing their thing. And these tutors, these guardians were responsible to make sure these children grew up to be uh, who they were called to be. But, but there came a point in time when the relationship, the child's relationship with that guardian, that slave, changed. First and foremost, the, the child had no rights at all. But there came a time when the father appointed it, by the way, it was based on the maturity of the child, that that child then would take the reins of the heir of the family and that his relationship with the guardian would change. He would now become the master of the guardian. No longer does the guardian have the power over the child, but the child, the adult who is, you know, given, transferred the heir has now become, you know, over the slave. And Paul was saying that's what it's like to be a Christian when you finally come to Christ. You're no longer under the tutor. The tutor was meant to bring you to Christ so that you could come to that day of appointment where you would bow your knee to the Lord, you would receive Jesus as your Savior, and your relationship with the law would change. Now, I know some of you might be going, okay, we say the law in, in, in broad stroke, and we have to understand that there are different types of the law. There is the moral law, which does not change ever. God's moral law, thou shalt not, you know, kill, you know, thou shalt not steal, those, those sorts of things. That is the moral law. That is God's mandate. That is, he, that is what his standard is for us. But there were other things that were called, you know, the ceremonial law. There were these kind of, th- these were more a- application to the Israelites themselves, that the way that they lived their life, that they would be separated, that people would look at them and go, how come you guys live like that? Why do you separate your milk from your meat? Why do you, uh, you know, take all these baths and, and all of these ceremonial cleansings? And why do you wash your hands the way you do? And why do you do these sorts of things? Why do you sacrifice? These were all what was known as a ceremonial law. What the Lord is saying is that the ceremonial law, once Christ came, was done away with. But the moral law stands forever. The moral law is that which is the Ten Commandments, you know. Well, how do I make sure that I fulfill those? Through Jesus. He fulfilled them for you. But, but the point is that we don't just, you know, I think sometimes as Christians we just go, oh, the law's bad, so I just cast it out. No, Paul explains the law is holy. It is good. It is God's standard. It is something that, you know, we should strive for, but it is not how we're saved. You know, we ought to look at those commandments and say, Lord, how can I honor you more? Are there any idols in my life, God? Help me to remove them. Are you the king or am I the king? You know, who am I worshiping? These are things that never change. Even though Jesus fulfilled them, that is the standard, and that is what we're striving for. But we are not saved by our ability to keep them. You understand? Ceremonial law is done away with, you know, when that was primarily Jewish. It had to do with Israel and God selecting this nation to be his people. But when Christ came, that was done away with no longer. That's why in, in uh, Acts chapter 10, Peter, the Lord said, go ahead and kill and eat, Peter. Do whatever you want. The ceremonial law is gone. It's been wiped away because Christ has come. No, the, the identifier now is not in the way that you so much live your life on the outside but it's how you live your life on the inside because the Holy Spirit has come in and there's been a change. You're no longer the same person. You have new desires. You have, you know, a, a, a completely new outlook on life. Your mandate is to worship God and elevate His name and His name alone, right? That's what you're doing, isn't it? Is that when you come to Christ, that's your whole goal is to make Christ known, as John the Baptist would say? I got to decrease that you might increase. Like, that's the whole Christian mantra, right? To to make, make his name known. And so, you know, Paul is just diving in deep to this whole idea of justification, how you're saved, and the fact of what it looks like in your life. And we come to this last part where, where he, will, he will use another illustration. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture, uh, you know, but it is a little confusing, so we'll work our way through it. The, the title of my message this morning is The Tale of Two Sons. The Tale of Two Sons. What Paul will do now is contrast the law, grace and the law, faith and works with these two sons that Abraham had and the two mothers that were under two different covenants 
And it's a beautiful picture. So stand with me if you would, please. We're going to read um, Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. And uh, we are going to see yet one more clear picture that we are saved by grace and not by works. Here's what the Word of God says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is the Mount Mount Sinai, bearing the children of slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we ask you to come now and just once again, Lord, draw us to the feet of Jesus. That we would see the grace that you have given. We would see the sacrifice that is sufficient for our sins. To wipe away everything that we have done, will done, ever will do. Jesus' blood is sufficient. His sacrifice was enough. That is demonstrated by the resurrection of Christ. We ask you, Lord, to blow that abundant life within the sails of our lives today, Father, that we would see you in the same light, that we would be relating to you through your Son and not through our own works, but our works would demonstrate the faith that we have in your Son. So come by your Spirit, we pray, and just teach us to be more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, Paul has spent a a really good portion of time developing this concept of the children of faith, i.e., the children of Abraham. We've been dealing with, he brought up Abraham, you know, early on in this letter, and his purpose was to help them see that we are children of Abraham, not by heritage or by nationality, but by faith. As you recall, it was Abraham who by faith believed in God, believed the promise of God that God was going to give him, uh, you know, this promised land for his descendants, that God was going to give him descendants that were going to be as abundant as the stars in the sky. He He was 75 years old when the Lord gave him that promise. And at 75 years old, you know, he believed God. And, you know, even though it may have been impossible with man, he understood that it's, that it's possible with God, that God can do anything. And I hope you understand that this morning. That as we sang, the songs we sang and everything, that it doesn't matter what you face, God is able. And he wants to work in your life, but what does he require of us? More work? No, faith, to trust him. Will you trust him where you are? I, I, was, um, I was, you know, as she was, Mandy was praying this morning, I was just thinking, yes, Lord, you do, man, in the darkness is where you work the most. Like, you, get, you, you, you grow us the most when we're in so much pain and we can see that we can trust you. And when we come through it, the Lord, you know, we, we raise our hands in victory because we saw what the Lord can do. So you trust him as you're working through whatever it is that you're working through. But um, Paul is trying to help us understand that we have a father in heaven, yes, but we also have a father in lineage whose name is Abraham. 
and you know the children's song. My, it was hilarious because yesterday I'm studying in my bedroom, and here comes my, my 12-year-old son, Father Abraham and many sons. He's singing this song, and I'm like, dude, that's what I'm studying right now, man. Way to go. And I was just in children's ministry this morning, and that song came on, Father Abraham. You know, and, and the song is true. It's, it's theological. It says this, that you're not a child of Abraham because you're Jewish. You're a child of Abraham because you believe in Jesus Christ. And that makes you a child, not of Abraham, but a child of God. And through Abraham, through, you know, he is the father of many nations, you being one of them. And so praise the Lord for that. Um, but, but Paul is making this very, very clear about Father Abraham. Now he wants to, he wants to illustrate one more time um, something very incredible that happened in the life of Abraham. It was, uh, he, he had a promise that God was going to fulfill. And yet, like you and I, Abraham sort of blew it on the promise. He tried to make it something that it was not. He tried to bring the promise to fruition through his own power. You ever done that? How'd that work out for you? You still suffering the consequences? We are, to this day, still suffering the consequences of what happened as Abraham and his wife tried to work out that promise in their flesh. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But the first thing that we find here is, is Paul is taking us through this account of the two sons of Abraham, contrasting grace and law and faith and works. He starts with a plea to listen. Look at verse 21 there, a plea to listen. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Now, listening is crucial to life, is it not? Like, you've you got to listen. You the more you listen, the more you're in tune, the more, you know, you can kind of navigate through life, right? It, if you listen, it helps you. But, but so oftentimes we think we're listening and we're not. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have this po- popular saying in our culture today that says, uh, you know, I hear you. I hear you. Hey, man, I am just incredibly exhausted. Oh, I hear you, man. I hear you. What, what we're saying is, is I connect with you. I understand what you're saying. I, too, have once been exhausted, right? But, but here's the reality. Are we, are we really listening? Because, uh, you know, when we ask somebody a question, typically it's just in passing and, the, you know, it's, there's more to the story. So the, the right question would then be, oh, you're tired. What does that mean? Are you tired physically? Are you tired emotionally? Are you tired spiritually? Are you tired? How are you tired? I want to listen to you. I want to hear you correctly. I don't want to assume. Because you know what that does, right? I'll let you fill in the blanks there. If you don't know, God bless you, but you probably have become one of these at one point in your life because you have assumed something, right? Man, we have to listen. Listening is crucial. Paul says if you will listen to the law, it will speak to you. It will tell you incredible things. It will tell you that you are not enough. That you cannot satisfy the law, but you're not listening. Oh, I hear you. Oh, I hear you. I hear the law. I'm hearing it, but you're not listening. Paul says the law brings condemnation. It's a curse. God never meant it to be a means of salvation. It was meant to show you that, you you know, the only thing that you should hear when you come to the law is condemned condemned, condemned. That is the voice of the law. That is the chorus of the song. It sings condemnation. And Paul would say, man, just listen. If you would listen, you would hear it. You would hear the song. Jesus tried to explain this to the Pharisees, you recall, in the, in the um, Sermon on the Mount. When he, what, what many believe is Jesus brought the full weight of the law into picture here. In, 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 in saying these couple things, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 22, he said, You have heard that it was said of, of those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judge. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. I'm not a murderer. Oh, you ever been angry with somebody? Jesus said right here, then you are guilty of of breaking the law of murder. You've murdered them in God's eyes. You've got to listen. You've got to listen to hear it. 
He goes on and he says uh, in verse 27, You have heard it that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I'm so faithful. I would never do, oh, who is that? You know, oh, you just committed adultery in God's eyes. Listen, the one chord song of the law is condemnation. That is all that it can bring, not salvation. And Paul would say, man, if you would just listen, you would hear it perfectly. These guys had a glorified view of the law. They were mesmerized by these Judaizers who were supposed to be from James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, you know, big church. That's what, you know, if you're, if you're in a domination, you know, it would be the center, the epicenter of, you know, the church of your denomination. Oh, there, look, we've got to go to that place, you know, because that's where the, the, the heads of the church are. Well, James was sort of the head of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, and that's where all the apostles primarily were. That's what they, where they worked out of. And these guys were po- imposters. They said they were from James. But James says, I don't know these guys. I don't know who they are. They're Pharisees in the making who have who've come in and they say, oh, I like the concept of Jesus, but we've got to keep the law too. And, and they gave this glorified view. And these guys went for it hook, line, and sinker. Paul says, if you'll just listen you'll understand that the law is a death sentence, plain and simple. He moves on to illustrate the reality of the law through the account of Abraham and his two sons. Look at verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born, according, born through promise. So you know the historical account of these two sons, I'm sure. But by way of reminder, God gave Abraham and Sarah a promise on two different occasions that they would have a son, that there would be an heir uh, to their inheritance by whom God would bring through promise. Not only that, the heir that he was speaking of was not just Isaac, but the seed of promise was pointing to Jesus. So what the Lord was saying is, I'm going to, to bless you beyond anything that you could ever even hope for. You know, the Bible says Mary was blessed because she gave birth to Jesus, right? Abraham is blessed as well because it was through his lineage that Jesus would come. He is the seed of promise, Jesus Christ. Now, the the near fulfillment of that promise was a a, a son by the name of Isaac. And uh, so these guys were given that promise, and, uh, uh, and it was an incredible promise. Not only that, again, that the Lord would give them land. That's why it's called the promised land, and that God would give you know, Abraham, a a, a plethora of descendants from many, many nations. All of this, Genesis chapter 12 through Genesis chapter 21, you can look it up and read it later. But um, it's interesting that when God gave the promise to Abraham in Genesis 17 and and, and also again to Abraham in Genesis 18, that both Abraham and Sarah laughed. (laughs) Ha ha, a kid? Are you kidding me? You know how old we are? Man, are you crazy? He's 75. I'm 65. Uh, you know, and, and the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 18 that in, in uh, Sarah's mind, it was impossible because it says she was past the point of childbearing. Her age, she was too old to bear a child. Oh, God loves those places, folks. He loves those places where we pinhole him into the impossible. So if you're in the impossible today, then God loves where you're at because he can work in it. But, but they laughed at God. They laughed because they thought it was impossible. But what do we know about the promises of God? Yes and amen through Jesus Christ, right? We have them all through them. But God is faithful with his promises, is he not? He does what he says every time. He never, ever fails. He is faithful. Hebrews 10, 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is what? Faithful. God is faithful. Listen, we don't ever have to doubt him. If we find that we're doubting, then we're walking in the flesh. But we have to trust the Lord. And what I love about God's promises is they're never in my time. Oh, I love that. 
you know, it makes me trust God more. It makes me have to go a little bit further. He's trying to grow me up. He's trying to grow you up. He wants to see, are you going to trust me? But God, you said, but God, you said, and the Lord continually does this with my back. You know, I'm, I'm having, I feel great today, you know, but sometimes I wake up and my back hurts and I'm, I'm saying, Lord, you said you're going to heal me completely. Why haven't you healed me? Are you going to trust me, Tim? You going to continue to trust me? Listen, I didn't promise you that I'd do it tomorrow, but I promised you I'd do it. Will you trust me? So the idea is even in the pain, I'm not going to make another way. I'm going to trust the Lord, right? And, and what can happen, though, is in a promise like that that's not coming to fruition fast enough for us, then we start to make, well, well, oh, God meant this. I get it. Okay, so this is what really God meant. He meant for me really to go get back surgery. That's how he's going to heal my back. Yeah, that's not what he said. And that's not what he said to these guys. He didn't say work it out in your flesh. He promised them that he would bring them a child. And he will bring them a child. And yet we see that, that doesn't, it doesn't work out the way that, you know, that God had planned it for them initially. They try and take on this responsibility of bringing this promise to fruition themselves. And so here's what happened. Sarah comes to Abraham and she's like, dude, God clearly meant that you're supposed to sleep with my maidservant. Abraham's like, okay, wait. He didn't even think about it. It's like, yep, no. Hey, hold on a second, man. What are you doing? Are you sure that's the Lord? You see, what happened there ultimately was sexual immorality, was adultery. And although the law hadn't been established yet, the law is written on our heart. We have a conscience. And in that moment, you know, Abraham was a sinner, man. He, he doubted a couple times. He's the father of faith, and he doubted a couple times. Remember, he lied about his wife twice. No, she's not my wife. She's my sister. She's so hot that I'm worried about them killing me and someone taking me, so I'm going to tell, the, tell them that she's my sister so they'll like me because she's a really good-looking lady, right? Abraham wasn't perfect. In this moment, I believe wholeheartedly that the flesh took over. Well, yeah, that's the Lord. Of course it is. Why didn't I think of that? Probably because my wife would have killed me. But anyway, I'm glad you suggested that. So and anyhow, they have a child. Hagar is the, the, the maidservant. She has a child. They name the child Ishmael, which is very interesting because you know what his name means? He listens. He listens. It's not coincidence that Paul is saying, listen. And, and, and that, that in your listening that you messed it up and you're thinking you can keep the law in order to bring salvation, look at Ishmael. He listens, right? No, you're not listening. You're not trusting. It's interesting when God is reminding, or when man is reminding God that he listens. But shouldn't it be the opposite? God should be reminding us that he listens because we doubt him. God knows what he's doing. He knows he's going to fulfill his promise in his timing. You can take him to the bank with it. But it's your doubting that's the problem. God doesn't need to be reminded of his promises. You need to be. And you need to trust him. Had they trusted him, Ishmael would have never come in the picture. You know that? And let me just say, that the work of the flesh here is, is the consequences are continuing to this day. Because God, when he cast Ishmael and Hagar out, we'll see in a little bit here, that God promised that he would bless him, that he would bless Ishmael, that he would take care of him. God didn't say, hey, you screwed up, and this kid's a child, a work of the flesh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to totally you know, abandon him. No. And that's a beautiful thing about the works in the flesh, is that God will still use him. He used Ishmael. In fact, it says that he would bless him and make him a father of 12 princes. You know who those princes are? It's called the Arab nations. The Arab nations. You know what that produced? It's called Islam. You know what Islam does? Persecutes the church. Work of the flesh. Don't ever, ever think for one second that your decisions only affect you. Only affect you. Oh, it's only affecting me. No one else is going to see, oh, really? What happened here? We're still dealing with this. We're still dealing with this. Be very, very careful with the flesh. Paul is 
telling these believers in, in Galatia here, he's like, man, look at Ishmael. He was a work of the flesh, and look at, and they were dealing with that even to that day, even in that particular day. Ishmael was a work of the flesh. He will not become the heir of promise because God will fulfill his word. So some, you know, sometime after, it was, Abraham was 86 when, when he had this child, 75 when he had the, the promise was first given, 86 when he thought God was off his rocker and he clearly meant that he should sleep with his maidservant. At 100 years old, 25 years later, God brings about the child of promise. 25 years later. How long have you been waiting? 10 minutes? Lord, you haven't done it yet. What are you doing? I need you to work now. What? Come on, Lord. You clearly must have meant this. I'm supposed to rob a bank. That's how you're going to provide for me, right? No, not at all. hundred years later, God brings about the child, Isaac, Genesis chapter 21. And you know what his name means? He laughs. He laughs. And it's not that God is laughing in the sense of their doubt and the fact that he is faithful. God is reminding them of the joy that comes in trusting the Lord, that he will fulfill his promises. You can laugh even in your pain because he is faithful. And he wants you to know that this morning. You can laugh in his pain. He will give you fullness of joy if you trust him. You just keep looking to him. You need to be reminded of that. But, you know, I, I, I was... Um, thinking when we were singing that song, you're never going to let me down, you know? And I was thinking, uh, Lord, I need to preach this to myself more often. I need to preach this to myself more often because so oftentimes I wonder what you're doing. And, you know, I can't, I have to be honest, sometimes I feel let down. Man, Lord, you didn't do it in my timing. You didn't do it the way that you said you were going to do. Listen, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your focus on Jesus. Not in the moment, but in the, the end game. God will fulfill exactly what he said to you. You just trust him. He knows what he's doing, and he is working everything out for the good of those who love you, love him according, called according to his purpose, right? He is working it out for your good. He is using it, even though it's not fun. But there is fullness of joy as we trust him through these things. Uh, so through these two sons now, Paul will illustrate the truth that grace is greater than law and faith is greater than works. Paul focused not on Abraham as the father, but upon the, the mothers who give birth to these two sons. Did you catch the contrast? One is a slave and one is free. The illustration is that the mother, uh, the, the position of the mother matters. That is what he's saying here. Your mom matters. Some of you don't know that. Some of you need to be reminded today. Your mom matters. Listen, um, your mother is... The director of your life is what Paul is saying here. Spiritually speaking, the mother in a spiritual sense and figuratively is, uh, it matters. Who's your mom? Is your mom Eve? Is your mom Eve here today or have you been born again? Are you still under slavery or have you been set free? Because, you know, the Bible says that we are all born under sin. Therefore, our mother is Eve. Our mom is Eve. She blew it. You're born with her genes. You're a sinner. But God said that, that you can be set free from that and through a process known as being born again because there was a son given through a woman named Mary, a virgin birth, who would become the promised seed of Abraham who would open up the door for you to be born again. And that's what Jesus told uh, in Nicodemus. He told, man, you've got to be born again. Listen, if you're not born again, you are still a slave to the law, to sin, to death. You have not been set free. doesn't matter how many Bible verses you know. doesn't matter how much you go to church. doesn't matter how many little ladies you walk across the street. It doesn't matter what you do or what you know because you're still positionally under that mother. Paul is saying you've got to change your mom. You've got to change your mom. You've got to be born again. He says, those who are born under the slave woman, their lineage is nothing but lostness and bondage. Lostness and bondage. But when we're born again by grace through faith in the seed of promise, who is Jesus, we are born into freedom and inheritance. That's what he said, you know, as we closed out last week. Man, you are no longer slaves, your sons. 
You're no longer slaves. You're sons. You have an inheritance. The son of the slave was born to the flesh. The son of promise is born of the Spirit. Here's the thing about you and Isaac is you have something very, very much in common. You have a miraculous supernatural birth. There's a miraculous supernatural birth. He was not, you know, he would never have came to pass if the Lord wouldn't have promised and brought it to fruition. You would have never become a, a, a Christian. You would have never, ever been born again had God not done that in you. Had God not drawn you to himself, you would have never, you've never come to that place. The Lord is drawing, and he draws because he wants us to be born again. You know, John chapter 6, verse 44. Listen, you can't call upon the Father unless he draws you. That's a summary. It's not a quote, but it's there. So listen, you, you have to positionally, you are a slave until you are born again. Then you're set free. Then you have an inheritance, and that's what he's trying to help us understand. But if you try and do that in the flesh, when you stand before the Lord, Matthew chapter 25, and, and you're standing in your own works and you're saying, Lord, look at this beautiful portrait of my works that I've done for you. Here it is. He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because your works can never satisfy my righteous requirements. And I believe it's going to be one of the saddest days in the history of the world when God separates those who think they're saved, those who think they did all these things for the Lord, but they did them for it, for, in the name of self-righteousness. And they're going to think, oh man, what do you mean I'm not saved? I, I was doing all this for you, no? You were doing all, all this for yourself. You were doing it for yourself, not for, not for me. If you wanted to do it my way, then you would do it my way. If you wanted to please me, then you would come in the way that I gave you through Jesus Christ, but you don't. You want to do it yourself. And therefore, there's consequences to that. Depart from me, I never knew you. It's, it's a sad situation. The work of the flesh can never yield the inheritance, folks. It never can yield the promise. And as I said before, you know, we are still dealing with the, the detriment of that work of the flesh with um, Ishmael. We need to trust the Lord for our salvation. We need to believe in what Jesus Christ did. And in his own words, when he said it is finished, we don't have to add to it. He did it for us. The only thing that's happening right now, you know, as a believer in Christ, is, is God is making you more like his son. He's not making you more saved. You're saved, period. You are justified. You are declared righteous by the holy judge through the blood of Christ. God sees his son when he sees you if, you're, if you've come to him by faith in Christ. You know, you are made righteous already. But we have to continue to trust in the promised Messiah, right? For salvation. Sometimes even as Christians. These guys are Christians. They're falling into legals and they're falling back into law-keeping. That can happen. Oh, man, I've got to please God more. I've got to do more. So that means I've got to work more. No. You need to trust Him more. You need to learn to trust Him more. Listen to the law. And listen to the promise. I woke somebody up. No, I'm just kidding. Listen. Don't act like a slave if you're not a slave. Act like a son. Act like you have an inheritance. Play the part. Don't fall backwards. Stand firm in your faith today. That's what Paul is saying. And next he says, let's consider the two covenants of these two sons. Look at verse 24. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate will uh, be more than those who are of those of the one who has a husband. Now, before we consider these covenants, this is kind of messy. It's kind of messy when it comes to the, you know, if you don't interpret this correctly, it can get really messy. Be, here's what's happened. Many people have come to this passage and it's caused them a ton of problems because they see the word 
this may be interpreted allegorically, and they, they take that to mean something that it doesn't mean, number one, but then they, they take it even further to mean that Paul literally interprets Scripture figuratively always and symbolically and never literally. And so, you know, that's what happens when you go to, <laughs> in the academia world, is that they, they, they hyper-focus on certain things and then they start making nonsense out of things. What, what can happen to those who get caught up in this word allegorically, because an allegory is not a true story. It's a, it's a, a figure of speech. It's, it's something, that is, is something that they're trying to illustrate is not true, but there's a meaning behind it. But it also could mean it is a true story that has no meaning at all. Neither one of these are what Paul is saying. None of that would make sense in what he's saying. Again, what, what was he just talking about? You can't just read verse 24 and say, okay, Paul interprets the Bible figuratively, symbolically. Everything's symbolic. All the Old Testament was symbolic. No. Listen, I learned something uh, profound in a statement from Pastor Chuck Smith. And he said this. We got to read the Bible literally. He said, when the literal sense makes perfect sense, make no other sense make you le- lest you make nonsense. You see what he's saying? Read the Bible literally. When you come to something that seems to be contradicting, then, then consider the context of the passage and say, okay, maybe this is meant figuratively or symbolically, but don't automatically just pick and choose what you think is figurative or symbolic because you'll make a mess of the word. Don't do that. So many people take the book of Revelation as, as um, symbolic or uh, non-literal. It is a literal book. It's a literal interpretation. And that's why people get messed up in, in it as they consider it. They get caught up in trying to figure out, uh, well, how, would, how does this symbolically mean? And now you're out on a ledge on your own outside of Scripture and you're trying to exegesis the passage. You can't, you can't make sense of it because you're left to your own thoughts. No, no, you've got to stay in the lines of Scripture. You've got to keep it in between the ditches, as we say. Right? You've got to keep it in the Word. Let the Word interpret the Word. You get outside of this, man, people make all kinds of crazy stuff up, right? Keep it in the Word. Paul is not saying any of this at all. What he is saying, that there's an alternative definition for the word analogy here, and, uh, or, or allegorically here. And what, what it means is a partial similarity between like features of two things on which a comparison may be made. That makes more sense. You see, even in the Greek, there, there are multiple definitions for a word, for one, one single word. Not all of the Greek words have, uh, you know, like the word love has multiple Greek words that mean multiple different things. Not all of it is like that. In this particular case, there are, are other meanings of this word. So we have to look at the word and say, well, in, according to the context, what makes sense? That makes sense. That Paul is... He's, he's using an analogy, yes, but it's a true analogy, and he's trying to paint a spiritual picture. So now that we're all cleared up on that, we can move forward into this. Paul makes mention of two covenants here. A covenant is nothing more than an agreement. And, and he, he says the, there are two agreements that were made with God, um, and, and these two mothers illustrate those two agreements, those two covenants. The first is the Mosaic Covenant. And he, he, he mentions that because it was given on Mount Sinai. And we know that it was Moses on Mount Sinai that was given uh, the, the covenant of the law, the old covenant. He was said, and, and here's the thing about the old covenant, the first agreement that he mentions. It's a conditional covenant. Well, what does that mean? That means two parties have to keep their parts in order for this agreement to come to pass. So in other words, God said, if you do this, then I will do this. Right? That's, that's two parts. You have your part, he has his part. That's what's called a conditional covenant, a conditional agreement. Um, so, uh, you know, he made this agreement and he said, if you keep my commandments, you, you'll be saved. If you just got to keep my commandments and you'll be saved. That's a conditional covenant. Um, but, but because God knew that it was impossible for us to keep the commandments of God, this covenant then becomes a figurative type of slavery. You're literally enslaved by the law. You're boxed in, as we talked about in chapter 3. You can go nowhere. You're literally stuck. Is that how God wants to leave you? 
Absolutely not. But he did it for a reason. The old covenant, again, the law, as Paul said, was a tutor to bring us to Christ. We're supposed to be boxed in. We're supposed to feel like we're failures. We're supposed to be miserable in this state because it's not how we're saved. It's meant to point us to Jesus. He says, you know, you can read more about that uh, the covenant in Exodus chapter 20, but the covenant that was represented by Hagar here and Ishmael was a work of the flesh, the law. It is a work of the flesh. He says those who, and it corresponds to present Jerusalem. What's he talking about? Paul is speaking about present day Jerusalem in the day that he lived. And and it would even apply today, by the way, but but he's very specifically saying in present day Jerusalem, the day as he is writing this letter, that present day Jerusalem, he's saying they're 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 under that covenant. They're all trying to they're all they're all children of Hagar. Why? Because they're trying to reach God through the law. And it's meant to box you in. It's meant to help you to see that you can't you can't come to salvation that way. What are you saying that? They are slaves fit for judgment. That's what he's saying. Because they're under the covenant of Hagar. They are figurative children of Hagar then. However, he goes on and he says there's another covenant. He says it belongs to the Jerusalem above. What is that speaking of? The Jerusalem above. The new Jerusalem. It's speaking about, it's speaking about a, not a physical Israel, but a spiritual Israel. And Paul does a good job, I think, in Romans chapter 11 of, you know, explaining this. You can read it later to gain some understanding. But here's the gist of everything that he was saying is that just because you're born in Israel and you're Jewish doesn't mean you're saved. It has nothing to do with your salvation. It just means you're Jewish. And you can go to hell just as quickly as any Gentile can go to hell if you don't believe in Christ, period. That's what he's saying. But there is a spiritual Israel, a spiritual Israel. There is, you know... Israel is an olive branch, and he says some of the olive branch will be cut off. That means some of the Jews will be cut off. They won't, they won't come to heaven because they'll try and relate to the Lord by the law. But there will be um, wild offshoots. That's you and me. We're wild. God calls you wild, man. You're, a, you're crazy. You're wild people. But you are grafted in to the olive branch. And he says you have become a spiritual Israel. It was never about physical Israel, folks. It's about spiritual Israel. It's about people coming to Christ. It's not the, yes, God will turn His eyes. There is a physical portion there of, of Israel that God will turn His sights back to the nation and He will deal with the nation of Israel. But, but the reality is, is that He meant for heaven to be for everyone, not just the Jewish people. And so He's speaking of a spiritual Israel. And that's what Paul is talking about, the Jerusalem above. How did that promise come to be? Through an unconditional um, uh, covenant. You recall, we talked about it um, a while ago, but it's in Genesis chapter 15. But the unconditional covenant that God made with Abraham was a one-sided covenant. I will do this for you, period. That's, that's That's what the unconditional covenant of the promise is. Abraham didn't have to do anything. All he had to do was trust the Lord that he was going to bring it to pass, right? That, that was his whole part in the, in the covenant was just trusting that God was going to bring it to pass because he said he would, right? That's the promise of the son Isaac. That's the promise of the seed of the promise who is Jesus. That's the promise of salvation. That's the promise of an inheritance. That is, the, that is what he's talking about. How does it come? By faith, by trusting. Unconditional covenant, unconditional agreement. God did it for you. And that's what Paul's saying. He, 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 he illustrates that fact that it had nothing to do with, um, you know, Sarah and Abraham and, and who they were, but it was the fact that God had made a covenant with them and he would keep his covenant. He would keep it. He says, he, quote, he goes on to quote Isaiah 54.1 that says, Sing, O barren one, who did not bear, break forth into the singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. The, the original context of Isaiah chapter 54 here is um, God reminding the children of Israel who are in captivity in Babylon that he's going to make them greater than they've ever been. You know, in the midst of their slavery, in the midst of their bondage, God is saying, look up, look up. I promise you it will get better. I am going to make you so much greater than you ever were before. Just trust me. 
And uh, um, he, Paul is using this. He's applying this scripture, the exhortation to, you know, stand fast in the promise to Sarah. He's saying she was going to be blessed. Not only is she going to have a child, but she also is going to be a partaker in that whole thing of what? Being a, a mother of many nations, right? Because it was through her son, Isaac, that God would bring it that all about who would eventually bring Christ, who would be open up the heavens for salvation for everyone. And it's an amazing picture, but it has nothing to do with what you do. Man, if we have to come to God through conditions, then we are all up a creek without a paddle. You're, you're, you're messed up. There's no way you can do it. There's no way I can do it. But thankfully, God did it for you. And he made a one-sided agreement with you. I'm going to do this for you, period. All you have to do is trust me and believe me. And so he sent his son to be pinned on a tree, to bleed for you, to be, uh, to, to be buried and then to rise again from the dead. And all you have to do is trust in him and, and you have an inheritance that is, will blow your mind. But you have to trust him. He gave that to you. You decide whether you want the covenant or not. You decide whether you want the promise or not. He, he, he says, I'm drawing you. I'm giving you the gospel. I'm telling you what you need to do. Now it's in your court. You, all you have to do is believe me. Take me at my word. See if I'm not being honest. See if that promise won't come true for you. And of course, we know that when somebody grabs hold of that gospel, they change. They're a new person. That the old has passed away, they become new. You have new desires. Everything changes. Your outlook doesn't mean you don't struggle. Doesn't mean you don't fall to the side and have to get back up and all that kind of stuff. But what it means is that something has changed inside you and you're a new person. We've been given a new covenant through the seed of promise who is Jesus. All, listen, a result of grace and not works. All a result of grace and not law coming to pass by faith, not works. So Paul goes on here, and he gives us the application of everything that he said here in verse 28. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born into the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Paul proclaims that these folks are believers here. Once again, he calls them brothers. He refers to them as children of promise. Um, they have been born again by grace through faith in Christ alone, but we're now trying to be made perfect in the flesh. That's what he said in the very beginning. You're blowing my mind. You're trying to be made perfect in the flesh. It's a danger for any Christian. And perhaps you know that feeling because you're struggling with that today. You are saying to yourself, I just got to add more. I need to add more Bible time to my reading. That's going to make me more holy. That's going to make God more pleased with me. I'm going I'm to add you know, more works. I got to do more for the Lord, and then he's going to be happier with me. No, not so. He's already happy with you. If you don't get that today, see me after the service. I'll slap you. No, I won't. But he, he wants you to understand that, folks. Seriously. He's pleased with you. Through his son, he's pleased with you. That, that doesn't mean you can't mess up and that God is pleased with your mess ups. That's not what I'm saying. But positionally, as it sits with you being made righteous before the Father through his son, he's pleased with you because you've done it. As it relates to your salvation, if you've come to Christ, you're saved. It's done. It's finished. God isn't looking for you to do anything more. It's done. Christ did it all. You trust him with that. Now, your works are the evidence of your salvation, right? That's where you see the salvation working out and, and the fact that you may fail at times, but you get back up and you keep pursuing on towards the Lord. Um, Paul, Paul is saying here, so, so what do I do? How do I deal with this if I'm, if I'm stuck in this place? Paul says, well, you've got to do, do what Abraham did. Well, what did Abraham do? He cast out the slave, slave woman with her son. Paul is saying to these believers, you've got to cast out these Judaizers from your presence. Listen, if there's people that are legalistic in your, in your life and they're, they're, they ha they're pushing you into legalistic tendencies where they're saying, well, no, no, you've got to do this. You have to sit before the Lord X amount of um, hours you know, a week and all this kind of stuff, and you've got to go and make sure you're doing this and that and whatever. Get those people out of your life because those people will, will taint you. They'll sway you. 
The slave woman has nothing to do with the promise, is what Paul is saying. You've got to cast them out. God, God will take care of them. You know, but, if, but if you're being swayed and you know that it's to your detriment, you get them out of your life. You let the Lord minister to them some other way. I promise you he'll do it. He doesn't need you. He can do it himself, right? But he's saying you've got to get this, these people out of your life. If you're struggling with that today and, it's, and you're the problem, you've got to get yourself out of the way. You've got to cast yourself out of the way. You've got to get back to the place where you're believing by faith in Christ alone. Um, you know, he goes on to say here that they're... Um, that, that the, the son of the flesh is going to persecute the, the son of the spirit. Now, here's the thing. Is God never promised you an easy life. He never promised you. He promised you a war, right? He promised that you would be in war. So don't be surprised when you're in war. Don't be surprised when the world doesn't like you. Don't be surprised when everybody's turning against you. You're in a war. You knew that when you signed up. Maybe you didn't. Maybe God's, like, maybe God's giving you a newsflash today. Well, guess what? You're in a war. Put your hard hat on. Get your weapons and get ready because you're going to have to fight. We don't run away. We fight. We stand up against the things of our, the, the flesh. We stand up against the things outside, and, and we don't let ourselves be overtaken, right? Paul says, you're going to be persecuted. And obviously, uh, Islam is persecuting the church. People are being beheaded by the day because they believe in Christ. It, a work of the flesh has resulted in a persecution of the Spirit. And that's going to continue on. That won't stop until Jesus comes back. Right? So we, we got to know that. we got to know where we're, where we're sitting. He said you got to cast the woman out just as God instructed Abraham to do in Genesis 21. He's saying you got to cast those out. Don't fool with legalism. It's a trap to your flesh. Cast it out and rely on Jesus. Paul summarizes everything that he got done saying Really, this chapter shouldn't have broke there. It should have broke at the, the next verse in chapter 5, verse 1, which says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Christ has set you free, Christian. Are you happy about that? Do you feel the freedom in Christ? Are you standing firm in your faith? Or have you taken back on a yoke of slavery thinking that you have to do something to gain favor with God? If that's you this morning, take the exhortation of Paul here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Do not submit to a yoke of slavery. The only yoke that you should have on your shoulders is the one Jesus places on them. Because he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God's not trying to bury you with rules, folks. He's trying to bring you alive. He's trying to fill you with joy. He's trying to help you to see that there's an abundant life that once we transition from this life on, man, that we are going to experience, and we can experience a version of it today if we keep our eyes on Jesus, if we continue to watch. Even in our difficulties, we can experience an abundance of joy. We can experience that freedom because it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Don't fall back into slavery, amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning and for the exhortation once again of justification that we are saved not by what we do but by who we know. It's by Jesus. Lord, we thank you this morning for just coming and meeting with us. We thank you for uh, just your word and, and what, what an incredible picture you've given us through these two sons of Abraham. But Lord, I think that it, it's left us with a decision to make. Whose son are we this morning? Are we a son of the slave or are we a son of the promise? Have we fallen the ways of Hagar, Lord, becoming a child of Hagar? Are we a child of Sarah, child of promise? Are we following Ishmael or are we following Isaac? Lord, we, only you can answer that question in our hearts. And I ask you this morning that you would just speak to each one of us intimately. First and foremost, as believers in this place, Lord, that we don't fall back into the yoke of slavery, that you would just free us of any legalism in our hearts today, Lord. We want to surrender them to you. We want to lift them up. We want to have you, we want to cast them out as you, your word tells us to do today. So if there's any kind of rule or regulation that we've made that's outside of your word that we're trying to put on other people, trying to live on our own, in our, in our own power in the flesh, Lord, that you would help us today to deal with that. 
Father, empower your believers in this place to live in the freedom that you've given us, Father. And maybe for some today, Lord, that don't know you, that have never experienced that freedom, today may be the day that you set them free for freedom's sake. That they would be free to live the life that you have provided through Christ, this abundant life that you want to give. That sets us free from sin and death and the power that it holds over us. And we ask you this morning, Lord, if there's anyone here that they just call upon your name. Your word says that if we call upon you, you'll by no means cast us out. You will receive us in, Lord, because you're drawing us. It would be a simple prayer this morning to the Lord with, by faith, believing in what Jesus has done for you. It would be something like this. Father, I come in Jesus' name, and I turn away from my sinful life, and I turn to you today. I want to become a Christian. I want to be new. I want this freedom that is being spoken of. This morning, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to be a child of promise. I no longer want to be a slave. I want to be a son. Make me a son today. Make me a daughter, Lord. Casting all my cares on you today, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I'm believing in Jesus who died and rose again from the dead for me. His blood is enough for me. And I proclaim that. Fill me with your spirit. Make me a Christian. We thank you, God. We thank you for those who may have prayed that prayer this morning, online, listening later, or even here this morning, Father. Continue to move in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.